Radio. You have reached Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. I'm Jason Benke. We had a little audio issue, and I'm sorry to make you wait around for a minute of silence. However, I was giving you time to contemplate the world, to think deeply about what's going on and how you can change things. We are only about 10 weeks away from Election Day. Anyways, this is Witches, Whiskey, and Wit. The show is about witches or druids. Sometimes we like those witch-adjacent folks like tonight's guests. Sometimes the show is about whiskey. Often there's a little whiskey next to me. Right now there is not, which is crazy and strange and different. However, the world is a crazy, strange, and very different place right now in California with wildfires burning everywhere. And often there is wit on the show, especially if there's not too much whiskey. So there you go. That's the spiel. Tonight, my special guest is one of my favorite people in the world. I feel like we came of age together in public paganism. We both started blogging at Papios Pagan at about the same time. We had our first Llewellyn books published at about the same time as well. We also have a devotion to a particular god that we share together, which is, both, which is really important to both of us. Uh, tonight's special guest is John Beckett. Hi, John. Hello, Jason. You hear me okay? Yes, you sound great. That new microphone is working well. Good to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for being here tonight. I guess we're all kind of stuck with COVID-19 and it's all affected us in some way. How has the pandemic affected your practice thus far? It's... um... You know, my practice hasn't been affected all that much. My, my, my private practice certainly hasn't. I'm still doing my, 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 my daily prayers. I'm still doing my weekly offerings. Um, I've, um, I have not, you know, have not had a, uh, have not had a public in-person ritual since late January, but I've been doing online rituals, um, sometimes by myself and sometimes with some help from my fellow Denton pagans. Um, so, you know, that part has kept going. Um, it's really, it's, 
I have good days and bad days. Let's just put it that way. Um, I'm 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 work I'm still working. I, I'm in the office three days a week and working from home two days a week, and that's worked out well. Um, not very many people in the office at all. Um, I can't travel. We can't do public ritual. Um, I see a handful of people on a uh, on a semi-regular basis, but um, you know, you know, I'm I'm an introvert who needs a little bit of uh, a little bit of people time, and yeah. um, but I really need that little bit. So yeah, I've um, I've ha- I have good days and bad days. I think you you wrote one of the first posts about the gods being quieter, right? And maybe about a month ago or so. Has that really been your experience that it, it feels like they're not as talkative or as loud as usual? Very much so. Um, and again, I don't know why. I don't know if if they are. Um, um, if they're just giving us room because they know that we've got enough to do with, with, with everything on our plates, or if they're busy off busy doing God things or, 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 or what, but um, things have been quiet for some time. Um, they're starting to pick up a bit, at least on my end, but um, um, certainly um Certainly, it's been nothing like what I've experienced over the last couple of years. You know, I didn't really think about that until I saw you writing it. I mean, Ari and I have our devotional practice like you do. You know, there are frequent offerings to Aphrodite and and Dionysus and Pan and Kernonos. But it does feel like they've just been a little quieter. Maybe it's because we all need our space or they don't want to worry us or something. I mean, I don't think they're gone. I certainly still feel their presences. It's just not as urgent in some ways as it might have been six months ago. Um, It's not disconcerting, but it's also just strange and different. I think for both of us, though I wouldn't describe myself as a devotional polytheist, certainly I also am a devotional polytheist uh, because I leave the, the devotions to them and everything, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you write a lot about being a devotional polytheist. Can you explain that to people who maybe aren't familiar with the term? So it starts with polytheist. Uh, polytheist meaning many gods. And I still have um, – um, I still have not found a better definition of polytheism than the one – the anomalistration uh, proposed several years ago that polytheism is the religious regard for many real gods. Um, when I was first l- learning paganism, I was taught there are soft polytheists who see all gods as aspects of one god, and they are hard polytheists who see the gods as many individual beings. Um, for the devotional polytheists, we are, we are definitely hard polytheists, and most of us will argue that soft polytheism isn't really polytheism. It is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pantheism, it's panentheism, in some cases it's monotheism, 
Uh, we had some we had some knockdown drag out arguments about that over that about five years ago, um, and I don't miss the arguments, but I I am glad that we 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 drew some we drew some boundaries. The devotional comes from the uh, from our the, our relationships with the gods. Uh, they are devotional relationships. Um, I honor the gods. I make offerings to the gods. I pray to the gods. Um, I don't. I, I, I'm not using them as vending machines. I'm not using them as um, um, archetypes. I'm not um, not trying to figure. Okay, if I need this, what god do I call on? Um, because my relationship is not a transactional one. It's a devotional one. Um, I have oaths to three deities. I have other deities who I work for and with on a somewhat regular basis who I have not sworn oaths to. And then there are all the other many gods and goddesses who some of <coughs> – uh, excuse me. I have um, um, – this has been a terrible season for allergies. Um, oh, yeah. And when, um, and when, a fl- when, when flu-like, um, um, flu-like diseases are causing a pandemic, that does, that's not a good thing for people who tend to be paranoid. But um, it's, it's really bad allergies this year. Anyway, um, my relationship with the gods who I know, who I work with, who I worship – is one of of devotion. It is one of reciprocity. It is not a not a transactional relationship, and it certainly isn't one of considering them, you know, one face out of many. I had someone ask me last night, you know, what I was doing a horn god talk, and it's like, what do you call these gods for? And that my first thought to this person is, if you don't have a relationship with them, then you don't call them because they're not vending machines. And I think if you read pagan books and especially Wiccan books back in the nineties and eighties, it always listed gods like they were items in a vending machine. If you need money, you talk to Hermes. If you need love, you talk to Aphrodite, etc., etc. Do you think those kind of writings have cheapened or maybe that's not the right word have affected how modern pagans interact with deity? Yes, but I think more important is the fact that we live in a, uh, a Christian society. Um, this is not a, this is not a Christian, legally speaking, this is not a Christian country, but it is very much a Christian society with Christian, uh, um, uh, Christian assumptions throughout throughout our culture and we come in, we we're taught that there is one god and then when we discover paganism for because there's still not a lot of people who grow up pagan who grow up polytheist um we can move from a a, a god to a goddess and a god uh and then when we start to move it, we start to under, understand that there are many goddesses and gods, um, 
that takes some time to process. And um, yeah, I, I, I certainly the 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 rather superficial treatment that deities get and got in a lot of the the '90s Wicca and paganism books don't help. But really, I think on a big picture, that was more a case of um, um, trying to make a transition from the monotheistic assumptions into, into polytheism. And, and, and let's also not forget that when we, we go back to, uh, to the, the, early, um, the early days of the modern pagan movement, um, I know you do your 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 1899 ritual. Um, you go back before you go back to the Golden Dawn. Um, those people were working in a thoroughly monotheist society, and um, their attempts to fit many gods and goddesses into a a monotheist worldview um, had some problems, and those problems have carried over to our day. Um, and you know, not saying I'm uh, I have exclusive possession of the truth, and um, uh, they're wrong and I'm right. But um, this has been my experience, and so this is how I and other polytheists order our religion, order our lives, and order our interactions with the deities who we uh, worship and work with. If I was going to say anybody had a handle on the truth when it comes to deity. My answer would be John Beckett. So don't sell yourself short there. You talked a little bit about how that we progress. And I'm thinking of myself as, you know, if I did this, you know, I find witchcraft and you started in Wicca too, if I'm remembering correctly. And That's correct. It's like, yeah. Oh no, I don't have to be a monotheist and I'm going to praise the Lord and lady. And then from there, other deities. Did you follow sort of that similar route? Pretty much, uh, honestly, um, honestly, when I first started out with, with you know, if I had found if I had found traditional witchcraft uh, in 1993, things might have been different. Uh, but I found Wicca, and I had I, I was still I still had a lot of fundamentalist Christian baggage that I had not dealt with, and. I, I just wanted to do witchcraft. I just wanted to work magic. I wanted to ignore the religious side of it. And that's why I struggled for eight years. And it was you know, when, when I finally got serious with it and had to go back and um, go back and figure out um, uh, what I believe about the nature of the universe and um, – uh, of the, the whole idea of divinity. Um, even then, it took me a, a while to to move to, to to go from except to go from one god to one goddess and god to um, to having some experiences of some individual deities that convinced me that you know it's not it's not all many many faces of one deity. These are separate beings. And so I should interact with them as though they're separate beings, and I should conceive of them and think of them as though they are uh, individual beings. 
So, um, yeah, that's I, I, I took a bit of a roundabout way of getting there. But, but yes, I had to go from um, uh, I had to go from um, from you know, monotheism into a soft polytheism and really more of a pantheism. And and, and then um, experience made me a polytheist. If it's Jason, not, yeah. If if it's not too personal, what was the first deity that you had an individual experience with? Well, that, that that's a hard question to answer. Um, you know, we've talked about Kronunos, and I am convinced that some of the mystical experiences I had as a child walking through the woods were of Kronunos. I just could not recognize him as such because I had no context for it. Um, that's, that's one answer to that question. Um, another answer to the question would be Lou, the, 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 the Irish deity Lou. Um, I, when, 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 I first, when I first started studying Druidry, um, I was looking for a patron deity, and uh, while I am certainly no master of all arts, I have a lot of different interests, and, and Lou seemed like the god for me. And um, that, um, um, that worked out okay for a, a little while until um, 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 Kernunos decided to make himself known to me again. But in between that, the, 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 the deities who convinced me that they are individuals were the gods of Egypt. Uh, my local group was doing a, an Egyptian temple ritual, and we were, we were doing our best to make it um, Egyptian and not Wiccan with Egyptian gods. And we put a lot of research into it, a lot of work into it, and, and it wasn't perfect, but it was more authentic than anything we had done at the time. And to get ready for that, we decided to have to to spend nine nights in meditation before the ritual, um, each night with a different god of the Ennead. And I did that. And what I discovered, what I experienced, was that my, my experience of Isis was very different from my experience of Osiris. My experience of Osiris was different from my experience of Set. Um, my experience of Set was different from my experience of Nephthys, and so on. And because that experience, those experiences felt so different, it just, it, I'm, I was left really with no uh, no choice, no, no, let's say no choice, but it, it was just very apparent to me that these were individual deities. You know, I always kind of forget about the, the Egyptian period. And when I go back and look at the archives of your blog, it shows up. And that was like long before I think I knew you. Uh, but it, it's always fascinating for me to read some of those posts do you ever envision sort of like a different path where maybe you had embraced that for a longer period of time, or maybe you just didn't have the choice? I mean, when, when, when a God calls, sometimes there is no choice. 
Yet, you know, the, I have a very unique relationship with the gods of Egypt. That for for I want to say 15 years we honored them at the summer solstice. And lately we've moved away from that because we want to do some other things on the solstice, but we've continued to honor the gods of Egypt. Um, when I led my uh, operative magic class uh, earlier this year, uh, the patron deity of the class was Isis. And, um, and I finally had to go out and buy my own Isis statue. Um, so, you know, at the same time, I am uh, I, I look at my main altar and I see I see I see Celtic deities. I see um, uh, I see Brigid and the Morrigan and Lou um, and of course you know, Kurninus and Danu. Um, that connection is so strong. I can't imagine doing anything else. But I also can't imagine not having the the, the gods of Egypt in my life. We often, when we're together, we talk about Kernonos. That, that's kind of a running theme. We've been lucky enough at Pantheacon to do little uh, Kernonos talks with another person whose name we won't say on the show right now. Uh, what, to you, who is Kernonos? Uh, what do you get out of your relationship with him? For me, he is a very old, very primal deity. Um, I see him as the lord of the animals and the lord of the hunt. I know there are some people, particularly within my own druid tradition, who um, who think otherwise, who think that he is a god of commerce and liminality and um, and, and the underworld, and they base that off of the one statue where where we have his name on the pillar of the boatman in France. Um, and I respect that scholarship, but I see that one uh, I, I see that as one um, one expression of uh, 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 one expression of Cernunos by people and to me that would to me saying that um these these merchants these sailors um uh, erected a statue to Cernunos so Cernunos is a god of commerce is like you know 2000 years from now somebody finding a a um um finding some of my blog writings and deciding that Cernunos was a god of engineers um it's back to that whole transactional theory, and and the scholarship is is, is reasonable. I don't want to uh, I don't want to discount it, but when I see the when I see the I, I, I see the, the 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 relief on that 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 the pillar of the boatman, and then I see the artwork on the uh, on the Gundestrip cauldron who. We don't know if that's Kernunos, but but it sure feels that way to me. And then you go back and you see the the cave paintings that are tens of thousands of years old, and particularly uh, the one that that's called the Sorcerer, that looks like um, 
you know, the, the people say it's a shaman. They say it's a uh, um, it's a man with who's put antlers on his head, uh, and that's entirely possible. But again, it sure looks like Kernunas. Um Beyond that, my own experience, my own UPG, my own unverified personal gnosis, is just that he is very, very old, and I mostly encounter him in wild places, and he seems to have a concern for um, for animals, uh, especially the wild animals. And and so that's that's how I envision him, and that's uh, that, that's that's my own gnosis of Cronus. And you know, again, with with God's goddesses, it is um, it can be a very personal thing, particularly those for like Cronus for, for whom we have no mythology, uh, we have no ancient stories, but um, yeah. He's the Lord of the Animals, the Lord of the Hunt, the God of the Wild, um, God of the Forest, and he speaks to me about about primal things and about caring for primal things, and, and yeah, uh, I, I think I think that's uh, I think I'm starting to ramble, but um, it's okay. Um, I, so we'll, we'll, I like we'll your ramblings there. are good. I, I feel like I can't send you the, the Horned God book to blurb now because I spend a lot of time talking about Kernonos as a god of commerce. However, one of the things that sometimes gets lost in these conversations about unverified personal gnosis and other things is there seems to be a group of people who want the gods to stop at a particular period, like up oh, 300 common era 300 ce there are no more new myths we've stopped writing deities are are set in stone this is the end if it doesn't fit within these parameters then it has to be discounted how do you feel about people who kind of articulate those kind of theories in my opinion i think that they're limiting the agency and the power of the gods by saying by speaking in absolutes and saying like this has to be the one way because this matches something from 2100 years ago yeah I think there's a lot of Christian influence in there with the whole revelation is sealed um, uh, um, that you know the uh, that, that, that comes out of that comes out of Christianity um, I think there's a lot of Protestantism in in there and uh, an over reliance on the written word. I think that the 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 essence of who a deity is does not change. Um, their their core personality, if you will, does not change. But how they express themselves in the world certainly does change. Why would it not? Um, why would why would we expect that an immortal or very nearly immortal being um, would express themselves, present themselves the same way in the 
our high-tech society as they did in the Iron Age or in the Stone Age. So now when when people now when people when people um make claims that deities have told them something that is completely at odds with the, the lore about that deity and particularly when those people don't already have a strong grounding strong foundation in in polytheist religion uh i i tend to question that uh, you have people who want to turn the Morrigan into uh, into a mother goddess um, because oh, well she's a, she's now a, she's she's now a nurturing mother goddess. No, the Morrigan is a battle goddess. Um, <laughs> the Morrigan is the chooser of the slain. Um, she's not a sex goddess. Uh, you know she has sex. There, there's one report in the lore of, of when she had sex, and that was with someone who probably was her husband, and. You have people who want to turn her into a sex goddess, and and and, and that ain't her. Um, not to say that she is not a sexual being, because again, the gods are whole persons. But but when you want to say the Morrigan is a sex goddess, you have first of all you you've greatly limited her, but you've also made a statement that is at odds with with what we know about her essence. So yeah. Um, the the essence of a deity does not change. Uh, their core their core personality uh, does not change. But how they express themselves certainly does change. And why would we expect anything else? That's a very well nuanced answer. Uh, big props for that. I uh, yeah, that was good. Uh, so. Uh, moving on, because, you know, we're about halfway through, and there's a couple of things we haven't really even touched on yet. So your first book was called The Path of Paganism, and your second book, Paganism in Depth. I remember when I was reading The Path of Paganism, I felt like you were giving value and meaning to the word pagan, because it feels almost like an antiquated word in some ways. You know, it used to be in the 90s. We're the pagan community, and we all believe very much similar things, and we're all happy together. We're all going to go to the same festival. And today it feels like more and more people define themselves not as being pagans, but whatever their practice is, whether that's druidry or witchcraft, or for some people it's devotional polytheism before everything else. When you think about the word pagan, what does it mean to you? And this is a multi-part question. Where do you think that grouping, that word that encompasses a lot, the umbrella, where do you think that's headed? The modern pagan movement is it is a modern pagan thing. That is a modern thing. Um, we have we are inspired by the ancients, but we have no direct connection to the ancients and I think I think Hutton I think Hutton put a uh, uh, put a period to that um, pagan movement draws a line from the um, um, certainly we're inspired by the ancients but we go back through the um, again uh, through the through the transcendentalists through the um, 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 
to the nature lovers like Thoreau and, 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 and John Muir and people like that, um, up through the Golden Dawn, uh, through Crowley, through Gardner, uh, through Wicca, through uh, Raymond Buckland, uh, and then through all of the all of the 90s Barnes and Noble uh, uh, paganism. That's 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 part of my heritage. Uh, that's as much my heritage as 300 years of revival druidry. Um, as late as about five years ago, I thought there that we would congeal around a very few uh, a very few centers, a very few concepts. Um, a very few expressions, and that there would be a that it, paganism would be like Christianity, in that it's one overarching religion, and then it has all of these denominations uh, in it. Um, that's not happening. Your your observation is very much correct. Uh, we are going our separate ways, um, and. So am I, to be honest. Um, we've got to build our religions from the ground up, and I think that's. I think that was probably. I, 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 I think that the 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 late the mid the mid twenty teens were the last effort to build a top down paganism, um, and it's just flat out not going to work. Uh, for a variety of reasons that I'm not sure I fully understand and would probably bore people if we started speculating on. Um, I'm focusing on on building my own polytheist practice um, that focuses on honoring the gods and the firsthand experience of the gods and um, um, being an oracular tradition where the gods speak to us and and and, and we you know, we hear them, um, it's a magical tradition that um, uh, that that doesn't just leave everything to what the gods will, but say, but say as I will it, so mote it be. Um, it's an ancestral tradition that that honors my ancestors of blood and ancestors of spirit. Um, it's a, 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 a tradition that is tied very closely to the land and to the place where we are. And I've got to build that from the ground up, um, but not necessarily from the ground up. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not starting from zero, and certainly I'm not doing it alone. I've got um, – uh, I have a, um, a wonderful group here in North Texas, and then – um, various people around the country and around the world who see the world in a different, in a similar way, that, and and we 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 compare notes. But um, yeah, um, pay the 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 pagan. I, I think the, I think there's still you the, the the idea of the pagan umbrella is still useful as a um, as an entry point. Um, for people who come into this, who are looking for something, who know they 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 want something that has gods and goddesses in it, that has magic in it, that that has the ancestors in the land, but they don't really know what it is. So 
They, they find it through the word pagan, and then they figure out, okay, um, I want to be a devotional polytheist you know, dedicated to the gods of, 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 of Egypt, or I want to be a um, um, you know, I want to be a Gardnerian Wiccan, or I want to be an ADF Druid. Um, I think the, the big ten of paganism is still has value as a uh, as an entry point, but that's about it. I'm afraid. So you have your fingers in a lot of different pies. Um, I know that you're involved in a lot of different groups. One of the things that you're involved in is Unitarian Universalism. How does this fit in to your desire to kind of grow devotional polytheism? Um, not at all. I am happily a Unitarian Universalist, but Unitarian Universalism is not – is not um, – Unitarian Universalism is not organized around creeds or around common beliefs. It's organized around common values, um, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, um, the, the the respect for for the earth and all its creatures, the interconnected web. Um, it is you know, it, it's it comes out of the Christian tradition. It is. Um, there are still Christians in the, the Unitarian Universalist movement. Uh, a lot of humanists. Uh, there's Buddhists. There's pagans. There's there's a few Jews and Muslims. Um, it is you know, it's it's a it's a religion centered around shared values, and um, the, the 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 people in my UU church do not share my beliefs about the gods. Uh, they respect them. Um, and they're kind of curious about them, uh, you know, particularly when I do uh, when I do Sunday uh, uh, I do Sunday services or when our cups group does 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 lead Sunday services. But um, that's not why we join together in a church. Join together in a church to build a better world here and now, because again, because we share common values. And um, um, you know if. If we were 50 years into the uh, the polytheist restoration and we had um, um, and we had temples in every city, I might have never gone to uh, the UU Church, but we don't. And I did, and I found a home, and I am um, and I and I'm happy to be there with again with people who people who share my values, even though they don't share my beliefs. I'm going to suppose that one of those values is getting rid of Donald Trump this November from the White House. Have you been doing any magical work in relation in relation to the election? Nothing that I'm going to talk about. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, all right. Speaking of uh, things that put us in peril or are changing things. You write a lot about what Byron Ballard calls tower time. Can you explain what tower time is to people who have never heard that phrase before? Tower time is symbolized by the, is named for the, 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 the tower card in the tarot, um, which is a, 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 a card of sudden dramatic, irreversible change 
we are in such an era now. Um, we have been, by my reckoning, since about early 2016, uh, although you could argue it started possibly as early as 2010. Um, it, is a, it, it, is, it is noted by the, the decline of the American empire and the drastic measures that those in power are taking to hold on to power. Um, the rise of nationalism and xenophobia. And then on the spiritual side, it's not just it's not just a human a climate change. Don't you know, it, uh, between a pan, between a pandemic and a, um, trying to get trying to get rid of Trump, uh, it's, it's easy to forget that you know the climate is changing. But guess what? The climate is changing, um, and that's something else we have to deal with. On the spiritual side. Um, the magic has gotten cranked up. Well, it's just that's a that's a rather vague way of putting it. But um, um, you know, one of the one of the expressions the mod the, 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 the many modern pagans use is, is the veil between the worlds. And um, according to our lore, the veil is thin at Samhain and at Beltane, and we can more easily communicate with our beloved dead. Well, for the past few years, the veil is shredded, um, and things that you used to experience only at Samhain or Beltane, now you experience year-round. Um, we're seeing – we're seeing – the um, – I did a post a few years ago called The Return of the Fair Folk to the Ordinary World, and some people said, ah, they never left, and no, they didn't, but um, – they weren't seen this frequently. Um, gods are on recruiting missions. The Morrigan first and foremost, but also Odin, also Hecate, also Brigid. Um, this is a time of change and decline. Um, and it's not Mercury retrograde. It's not going to be over in three months. It's not going to be over in three years. It's not going to be over in the lifetime of anybody alive today. And part of my goal in all these writing is first to, is first of all to, to let people know what's coming. But more than that, to let them know they're not alone. Because I've done workshops at several pagan festivals where I start talking about these odd things that happen, like encountering a green glowing bird a few years ago or um, running into a fairy dog in Ireland uh, in, in 2018. And I have these I, – I talk about these things, and I set these things up in a, in a workshop at a paying gathering, and people start talking about their own experiences – well, I didn't want to talk about this. I was afraid to talk about this. I was afraid people would say I was crazy. I was afraid people would say I was lying. Lots of people have these experiences. And when I write about them, that gives them permission to talk about their experiences and to stop gaslighting themselves and letting the, the mainstream society gaslight them and affirm that, no, you had this experience. Now, we can debate what it means, but 
your experience was real. And then the other thing I'm trying to do with all this writing is get people to start thinking thinking in long term in, in, in a long term perspective. What does it mean if um, magic is just going to keep getting stronger over the next couple of decades? What does it mean if our um, our gods are going to be more active in the world? What does it mean if um, uh, some other spiritual beings who who may not exactly have um, uh, humanity's um, well-being in, in their uh, in their interests? Um, what are we going to do when those folks are around? So. We're still very early in this, and I do not have all the answers by any stretch of the imagination. I just have observations and some con- some tentative conclusions, and I'm trying to figure out what I should do next. And it's um, – we live in interesting times. Do you think Tower Time is related to the resurgence of witchcraft – and astrology and other magical practices. I mean, we've been hearing for centuries now that magic is on the decline, that it never really feels like it's on the decline. Yes. So, well, first of all, magic never magic never really went away. Um, the people, magic is part of our birthright as humans. Um, and you can... Um, uh, you can outlaw magic. You can you can you can hang people and burn people at the stake for supposedly uh, practicing magic, and and people will still do it because they have a need for it. Um, when other um, it's it's like like Peter Gray's line, witchcraft is the recourse of the dispossessed. When you when ordinary avenues of power are closed to you. You go to the local witch, or maybe you decide to become the local witch. So um, on one hand, the, the circumstances, our mundane circumstances, are inspiring more people to study magic and witchcraft. On the other hand, based on my observations, I'm convinced that um, – the currents of magic themselves are getting stronger and louder, and it's opening more doors for more people. So, um, yeah, it's more people seeking it out, and when they go looking, it's a whole lot easier to find. Do you see any kind of blowback or consequences from – I don't want to use the word TikTok witches or Instagram witches, but it seems like there's a whole new generation of witches who are really different from – maybe me and my wife Ari or maybe what you practiced 20 years ago. Do you think that's going to have repercussions? Do you think that these new practitioners are serious or they're just kind of attracted to magic as a lark for a period of time? I think a lot of them are, um, I think a lot of them are young women who feel empowered by the archetype of the witch. More power to them. Um, I think a, I think uh, some of them are, a lot of them are dabbling in it. Um, 
Are there going to be repercussions? No. Um, this isn't a um, um, the 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 gods can defend their own honor, um, and I don't think anybody's going to get struck you know struck by lightning for uh, for um, being a being a TikTok witch. Um, now, are some of these are some of these witches going to burn their fingers? Oh yeah. Um, you know, again, with the whole thing about some TikTok witches were going to hex the moon and, you know, you might as well hex the tides for all the good it'll do. Uh, some others were going to hex the fae, and that doesn't tend to work well. Um, again, some some people are going to burn their fingers, but, hey, you know, I burned my fingers when I started too. So um, I think most of these folks, for most of these folks, it is – it's it's an empowering image, and they will they will try it on for a while, and they may even work some spells, and eventually they'll move on to other things. But some of them will decide, no, there's something to this, and they'll uh, they'll go deeper. So so my goal is not to tell the the people who are playing with it that they're wrong. My goal is just to be here when some of them say, you know, I think there's more here. I want something deeper. I want to be there for those people. Do you think a lot of those people even hear us? So we mentioned TikTok and Instagram, and everything changes so rapidly in the social media environment and how people consume information and see it online. I mean, we're Gen X or the cusp of Gen X, and you know we're old school bloggers and, and writers, and now you see people getting away from that, people who don't even – realize that that particular world exists uh is there still voices for blogs and sort of the things that we do or have traditionally done there's a place for it um you know we you and i don't have the reach of um of some of the instagram which is um that how do i want to say this um it disappoints me because I, 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 I wish that when somebody, when some 15-year-old is feeling that call to witchcraft, I wish they would find you or me and not somebody for whom witchcraft is mostly um, a lifestyle thing. Um, but, you know, that's the... Um, um, that's not the world we live in. So again, all I can do is to practice as I'm called to practice and write about what I do and again be here when um be here when people come looking for something deeper and if they want it, you know, I'm not hard to find. It is really different though. I mean, I guess I've been doing blogging for nine years and you, I think for 15 years, I mean, cause your archives go back quite a ways before Patheos Pagan. And we've both branched out. You had your video channel for a while. You're the only person I would get up for at 8am to talk <laughs> about Carnonos too. That's, you know, I'm just going to always throw that out there. And, you know, I do this little podcast thing now. Uh, so, I mean, I feel like we're adapting, but it is, it's such a different world. 
And I don't begrudge somebody who has 100,000 followers on Instagram. Obviously, people are getting something out of it. Uh, but sometimes it just feels so different from my own practice. And I wonder if people are having, you know, those deep connections that to me are so much a part of my witchcraft. Speaking of deep connections, we have about eight minutes or so left. And I have like this list of questions and I never get through them all. But this has been a year where we have not been able to travel. And you and I both go to at least some pagan festivals every year and have been unable to do this. And you and I are both people who have been blessed enough to be in a place where we get to travel overseas and go to various places. And I've been to Ireland and Scotland and I'm trying to convince Ari to let me go to the Orkneys next time. But she's like, I I don't want to get in that plane that John got into. It's too small. Uh, What is the most spiritually inspiring place you have been able to go on your travels? Boy, there's so many. Um, I um, certainly Orkney ranks high. Uh, 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 on that, with the with the Ring of Brogder and um, uh, the Standing Stones of Stennis and some of the other Maze House, some of the other sites on there, uh, Brunaboyne in Ireland, um, with um, um, Newgrange and Nowth and Douth and Fornox and, and, and some of those places, and, and just just lo- absolutely love that place. But if I had to put one above all the others, it would be Anglesey. Um, it's a um, um, it's just a fascinating place. There's all these there's all these ancient uh, you know uh, ancient monuments. I think is what they're called. But they're standing stones and burial mounds and um, Bryn Kelly D. Which is the place where the Anglesey Druid Order holds uh, a lot of their their rituals. Um, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's the connection to the connection to my Druid forebears is so strong there. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Anglesey. Good answer. Do you think that we will ever? have spots in North America uh, for modern pagans like that? That's a good question. I haven't given it much thought. Um, We can get the connections. We can make the, the land is just as powerful um, if we, we can connect to the land where we are and we should connect to the land where we are, um, what we will never have are the centuries of mystery. Um, uh, you know, Stonehenge is, is pushing 5,000 years old and, and you know, um, so much of that we don't know what happened. We have to guess. Well, anything that happens here on out, you're going to have at least some records of it. So, so we can have the powerful connections, um, but we're never going to have that mystery. You know, I think of Trout Lake Abbey sometimes, which is a is a pagan and Buddhist retreat center, and it's about as close as 
I've ever really gotten to a particularly pagan place in North America that seems really reserved for just the practice of paganism. And when I go over to the UK, you know, it's, it's different because you visit places that were used 2000 years ago for worship and, and rites. But at the same time, you're meeting people like Christopher Hughes who are still using those places today, or Dave the Bard, who's using the long man as the base for their rituals. And there's just so much power and energy when you come across those things. I would be remiss, and I like having you on in August and September for a particular reason. You and I <laughs> both watch football, which is not something that most pagans do, though I am finding more people who are coming out of the football closet and being brave and sharing their enjoyment of the game because of brave forebearers like you and I. How are your Cowboys going to do this year? And do you think that the NFL will even play a full season in light of COVID-19? They're going to play a full season. They're, they're, they're committed to, to, uh, uh, to playing, uh, and they're going to do it. Now, they, they may have – there may be some, 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 some postponements. There may be some reschedules. You know, we may be playing the Super Bowl in March, but they're going to um, – uh, they're going to make it happen. Um, I'm optimistic about the Cowboys. Um, they had a good draft. They had a great free agency period. Um, they've had one serious injury, but um, no, you know, you know, they still got Dak. Um, they got a new coach who knows who, who's, who's shaking things up, and a lot of times, a lot of times an old coach gets stale and a new coach comes in with something just a little bit different and it just really changes everything. The thing about the NFL is it's so close. That whole on any given Sunday thing is still true. And so many games come down to, um, you know, uh, a catch here or a drop there, uh, a ball two inches further, uh, a, a, a bad call from the refs, um, a missed field goal. Uh, it's so close. There's so much. There's so much random chance involved. So I like their odds, but but you just never know. It's amazing to me that Jason Garrett survived as long as he did, and you just kept expecting that he would grow into the job and figure out how to manage the clock late in games, and it just never happened for whatever reason. Because he's not a dumb person by any means. He's a, he's a super smart guy, but it just didn't feel like his game management skills ever quite rose to the level that they needed to be in order to be the next, you know, you don't even have to be Bill Belichick, the next Doug Peterson who at least won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Jason Garrett's game management skills failed him at times, but they are ultimately aren't why he failed. Um, Garrett's and I, and I got a, I got a really good close up look at him here. Um, the, the um, the Dallas media just lives on the Cowboys, so um, uh, and and it's not like what I hear coming out of New York and Philadelphia where it's all antagonistic. I mean they're they're um, they're not homers, but they're um, um, they do a good job of, of 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 telling the whole story. Uh, Garrett's problem was he was a he was convinced that there's one right way to do everything. 
And if you do something the right way and it doesn't work, well, you should just keep doing it the right way, and sooner or later it's going to work out. And that will only take you so far. Uh, that will um, that will take you from being a losing team to being a winning team. But to go from being a winning team to being a championship team, you've got to have some imagination. You've got to do what Doug Peterson did in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Peterson knew that if he played the Patriots ten times, the Patriots were probably going to win seven of those games. So he only had one shot, so he had to take some chances. And he did, and it worked out for him. Um, no guarantee it's going to work, but you know, if you don't if you don't mix things up occasionally, you know, uh, you keep doing the same things and you get the same results. I'll never forget Philly special before halftime. I mean, that was going for a win, and you just don't see that in the NFL very often nope. anymore. Nope. People just I love, people I love settle. Oh. Uh, out at the bar, we went crazy. I hate the Patriots. If you're a New England yep. Patriots fan, you should probably not listen to this podcast during the fall because it just despise your team. Go Steelers. I mean, I even like the Cowboys more than the Patriots. That's tough. That's tough for a Steeler fan. I yeah, really like that. It, it was tough. It was tough rooting for the Eagles, but um, you know, when the choice is the Patriots, yeah, go Eagles. <laughs> That's right. There's, you just can't root for the evil empire. I really like Prescott, though. I think this – I'm not sure that the Cowboys are the top tier of the NFL in the NFC. I think maybe that's still New Orleans, San Francisco, maybe the Seahawks. But I think that Dallas is a really strong four or five there, which means in this crazy season, who knows exactly what's going to happen. And that might just be good enough. It might be. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for chatting with me and thank you for indulging me in the football talk. And I hope not all of you pressed stop once we got to that particular section <laughs> of tonight's show. If people want to find out more about you online, where should they go? Um, the, probably the best place to start is on the Patheos blog. Um, and if you'll Google John Beckett Patheos, it'll bring you right to it. Um I'm on social media. Uh, I'm mainly active on Facebook. Um, I'm also on Twitter, um, but about all I do on Twitter is promote blog posts. Uh, I've got an Instagram feed uh, where I do post some uh, um, random pictures that I take. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, and then I've got my own teaching site under the ancientoaks.com where I I have th now I'm up to three online courses that are on demand and they're available uh, if you're you're interested. One was a companion to my uh, last book, Paganism in Depth. Uh, one of them was titled Building a New Myth about building a, a pagan and polytheist worldview. And then the one we just finished was uh, Operative Magic. Um, and the first run of those classes is gone, but they're set up on demand so you can take them anytime. Um, but yeah, um, Patheos blog, website, social media, I'm not hard to find. John's books are all terrific. John is the only blogger I read three times a week, maybe because you're the only person left who can write that much a week, but no, it's also because what you write is so great. John, thank you so much for being on the show. It's always a pleasure. And I do hope that when the calendar turns, 
we actually get to see each other face to face again, maybe Mystic South in 2021. Jason, thanks for having me. And I so hope that we are able to be together in person, um, you know, sometime in, uh, uh, you know, sometime in 2021. Only the best scotch and a giant hug. Thanks to John Beckett, who was our guest tonight. Next week, I'll be with Deborah D'Angelo, whose first book, Elements of Horse Spirit, was just released a couple of months ago. I've known Deborah for a long time. It's her first book. I think it's her first podcast interview. So it might be a colossal train wreck, which is a reason to tune in, really, if you ask me. Thanks for listening, all of you out there. Special thanks again to John, and we'll see you live again next week. Thanks.